Welcome to the New Money Habits Podcast, where we talk about how to create a better plan for your money so you don't have to live paycheck to paycheck. Here are your hosts, Sarah Jones and Nino Villa. Welcome back, Budgeteers. Coach Nino Villa here alongside me. It is Sarah Jones, my partner on the airways. How you doing? <laughs> hello, hello. Hello, Nino. Hello to everyone out there. Where are you joining us from today, Sarah? Oh, you know, Nino, we are um, still in Texas. Um, but can I just say, um, and I think this is going to tie in fairly nicely to our conversation today, but um, I don't want to necessarily glamorize this RV life because there are a lot of challenges and a lot of unexpected things that happen while you live in a mobile traveling home. And just this past week, we are dealing with two water leaks, one that's pretty significant that we have to get fixed. My washing machine has thrown some codes with the, the panel. Um, we need some new tires. So I just want to say <laughs> that even though you plan for these things, being a full-time RVer is not all that glamorous. And so if I'm anything, I am honest and upfront with people. And so while it's awesome, there's still a lot of challenges and you really have to plan um, for these things. And it's not cheaper to live in an RV versus a home or versus renting. Mm, interesting. Which a lot of people think it is. And I'm here to tell you, it's not. <laughs> I would have thought that un until you and I had some conversations and I realized, oh, wait, yeah, you got to pull that thing everywhere. So you're burning up more gas and gas prices are outrageous and right tires, you know, because those are going to wear on you and you, you need to replace those pretty frequently. And, and so just and oh, like park fees, because, you know, you, you might not want to just like post up in a Walmart parking lot and you might want to actually go somewhere. And so until we started talking about it, I'm like, yeah, right. There's all these other expenses. Hmm. Maybe not as cheap or, you know, as inexpensive as one might think. It's true. And I think a lot of times I've seen people sell their home so they could live in an RV thinking it was going to be cheaper. And to that, I've got some other questions, maybe a mortgage is more affordable. Maybe it's not, maybe renting. Who knows? <laughs> Which is a great segue into our conversation today because we are going to talk about mortgages and affordability and what it, what it means to be able to afford a mortgage and all of that stuff. And so um, we're going to kind of start at the absolute beginning because they say the beginning is a great place to start, but I don't want to assume... <laughs> That our listeners, you know, I don't want to assume anything. I want to kind of assume that we're all starting at ground zero. And so I kind of just want to build the conversation from that point. And so I know for me, when I first heard the term mortgage, I was probably in my teens or early 20s. When I heard the word, it sounded like lots of money. I don't know why, but it's just a mortgage. Like, oh, that's got to be really expensive. So let's start with what is a mortgage? And a mortgage is simply a loan to buy property. Mostly, typically a house. It could be other things like commercial property or whatever. But a mortgage is just a loan type. And that loan is used to buy, 
buy property like a house. So then I want to make sure that all of our listeners know what goes into that loan. So like any loan, there are factors. Before a mortgage, there are three major factors. The mm -hmm. first major factor is how much you are actually borrowing or financing. The second factor is the interest rate. So how much it's going to cost you to borrow that money, right? The bank gets to say, hey, we're going to charge you this much to borrow our money. And then the third factor is the loan term. So how long you have to pay that loan. And with mortgages, with a home, you typically get a much longer period of time than you might be used to on something like a car. A car loan is usually four or five years. A mortgage, nowadays, I think most people take a 30-year mortgage, but anywhere between 15 and 30 years to pay that loan back. So a mortgage is just a loan about how much you're borrowing, what the interest rate is, and how long you're borrowing that money or how long you have to pay it back. That is what a mortgage is. Hmm. You know, I think I, well, I think, I, I know for a fact that when I got my first mortgage, I was 20 years old um, oh, when wow. I bought my first home and it was not explained to me. Now, not saying I didn't, I'm not glad I did it, but these things were not broken down for me, even though I was looking for a house, you know, and, and I did, I ended up purchasing my first house when I turned um, 20 years old. Um, but uh I love that we're going through this because um, I certainly didn't know when I was looking, even though I was getting a mortgage, these things were not fully broken down for me. So I love that we're sharing this information and um, because you know what people may not know out there. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I didn't know uh, until I was much older and I was very up, up, upset with my father about this. So my father had owned a number of homes uh, during my childhood years and even before um, I was born. And so he understood home ownership and he understood mortgages and the benefits and the and the, the drawbacks uh, between that and renting, but he never explained any of this to me. It wasn't until I was much, much older when I realized one of the houses my dad bought when I was a, in my teen years, he, he purchased it for about $45,000. And if you can imagine, a mortgage on $45,000 is probably somewhere in the neighborhood of $300 to $400 a month. Okay, And we'll talk a little bit about how you calculate that in a minute. I realized him charging me $200 a month for room and board, I was paying half his mortgage. I didn't know it at the time. But many, many, many years later, I realized, wow, I was paying half the mortgage. And it wasn't until then that I realized that sometimes, depending on, you know, where you are and like uh, location wise, right? Um, this was all in Buffalo, New York, where um, I eventually rented an apartment on my own for $400 a month. And I didn't realize at the time, like, wait a minute, for the same amount of money every month, I could have bought a house. So... Uh, sometimes you don't realize that like renting and, and, and a mortgage payment can be very, very similar uh, in the amount that they cost every month. Yeah. And I think that, 
you know, when I was looking for my first house, um, I didn't have a whole lot of information to go off of. My parents never owned a home. And so the house that I grew up in that we lived in for many years was um, part of my dad's pay for the job that he had. Right. And so we didn't even have rent necessarily. It was just that was part of his pay. Right. Part of his income was housing with his job. And a lot of people in my family we didn't talk about money a lot. I didn't hear, you know, a lot of different things growing up. And so the things that I heard about mortgages, number one, weren't all that stellar, to be honest. But I, what I wanted is I just thought I want something of my own. You know, I got kind of tired of renting. But I ended up, um, um, my mortgage was a little bit less than my rent, but the costs turned out to be a lot higher in my situation. Yes. And so there, there's where that conversation between renting and, and purchasing a home really kind of begins is in understanding, like, not only what is that monthly cost, but then what responsibilities do I have when I'm renting and what responsibilities do I have when I own? Because those are incredibly different, right? So what are some of the differences? What What did you learn early on? Like, oh, I'm responsible for that. <laughs> <clears throat> well, one thing, and actually this is a quote that I heard recently, and I wish I would have heard it years ago, but it says, if you can't afford to rent, you can't afford to buy. And I thought, wow, I left renting because I could get a mortgage, right? My first house I paid $86,000 for, my first wow. little home. And, um, you know, my mortgage was less than rent payment was. But what I didn't realize is roofs are really expensive to put on a home. When your roof leaks and you don't have an insurance, you know, it's not an insurance claim, it's almost $15,000, right? Mm. That wouldn't have been the case had I been renting it. Hot water heater leaks, upgrades, remodels, you know, just yard maintenance, all of there, there's so many, you know, I could go on forever. Um, all the expenses that a house um, can have a mortgage that you might not be responsible for rent. Some of the big ones were utilities, um, you know, when I rented, not all of the utilities were my responsibility. Some um, of our utilities, the landlord paid. So when I got a mortgage, I not only had the mortgage, I had those utilities plus upkeep plus insurance. I mean, it started kind of to add up. Yeah, I think when I'm working with um, first time home buyers, people considering uh, buying for the first time, I want to help them to remember. And so if that's you listening right now, I want to help you to remember that there are a slew of expenses that although you're paying rent and your rent might be a little bit higher than a mortgage payment would be, there are a slew of expenses that are just not your responsibility. When that hot water heater breaks and needs to be replaced and you're the renter, not your responsibility. When your microwave breaks and it needs to be replaced, not your responsibility. When the AC goes out, not your responsibility. When a pipe leaks, not your responsibility. Like all of these things that you get to call either the property management company or the landlord themselves and say, hey, this thing needs to be fixed, not your responsibility to um, pay for that. 
you know, so I, what I like to remind new first time home buyers is that when you're walking into not only the mortgage, you're walking into a ton of responsibility, things that are now on you to upkeep and repair and replace and that sort of thing. And so, um, not being hasty about jumping into uh, a mortgage. I had a, I was working with a young couple who had jumped into home ownership kind of hastily, and they found like because the uh, property that they purchased was more than fifty years old, it needed a lot of work and all these things, and they made the radical decision after about working together for about eight months or so and really kind of talking back and forth, back and forth. They just came to the decision. They're like, you know what? We're gonna sell rent for a little while, kind of hit the reset button. And when we buy the next time, we're going to do it right. We're going to have some money in the bank and and all these different things that they didn't do the first time. And all these years later, they own a home again, but they did it the right way. And now instead of it feeling like this burden, mm. that now it's a blessing. So I love that. I love that. And I I want to throw out there too that there's nothing wrong with renting. Not everybody needs to own a home. You know, I, that was one of the reasons why I got my first home is because I thought that was the grown up thing to do. That was the, you know, the right thing to do. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't at the time. You know, I, a lot was going on in my life. I was 20 years old, but I talk with so many people that they're like, it just, it makes me feel like an adult to own my own home. And the truth of the matter is, Nino, is owning your own home does not mean that you're more successful doesn't mean that you're better off financially. It doesn't mean that you're more of an adult that somebody else, you know, than somebody mm -hmm. else. It doesn't mean any of that. It means that somebody that you're making that decision to own a home or you are making the decision to rent. I know people that have rented their entire lives and absolutely love it. Right. And so um, I just want to throw that out there. I know that's not exactly what we're talking about, but I just mm -hmm. want people to know it's okay to rent. Um, and, and if you're doing it for the, you know, the right reasons again, and you're being intentional with it, then it's the right decision for you. And, and you don't have to have a mortgage. Um, so I just want to throw that out there because I yeah. think, you know, mortgages, mortgages are pushed a lot and home ownership is pushed a lot. And I just want to say, you know what, sometimes renting, let somebody else handle all the hassles and I'll rent. Yeah. I, you know, I want to echo that sentiment because I think what I've noticed too, working with all generations, what you really have to ask yourself is, are you establishing roots? If you're going to establish roots somewhere and you're going to be somewhere for a while, then it probably benefits you to eventually buy because now you have an asset that's almost like a forced savings account. I mean, I bought my house uh, 13 years ago because I knew I was going to build some roots, right? I bought it for 119. I could easily put it on the market today for 380. It was a forced savings account. I now have this asset and that was a that was a great um, position for me. But what I noticed working with all generations is there are, there are people who traveling nurse or a young um, professional who wants to make themselves available to any company and maybe they can't work from home. So it's all like, hey, I currently live in Arizona, but I need to be able to relocate to the state of Washington in a heartbeat. And it's a lot easier to do when you're renting. Then when you get to the new place, 
that you're unfamiliar with, renting allows you to get familiar with a neighborhood without completely locking yourself into it. And you, it there's just so much more flexibility there. So I echo that sentiment that, you know, buying a home is not always the best option. Sometimes renting is the wiser decision, depending on your circumstances. Mm -hmm. For sure. And I wish I would have made some money off my first house. I, in fact, lost money after being there for 10 years. I had to pay to get out of it. <laughs> mm. Sold it for less than what I, I bought it for. So, but you must that's have another... sold around 20, 2008 to 2010, something like that. It was, but you know, again, how you can't predict those. And this is just another reminder, right? That it's not always, you know, I, I, Real estate can be a really great investment, but it's not always because we can't always predict, you know, the future. And, and for right. us, it was the right time to move. Like we, you know, um, we needed to move, but I think this is just a good reminder that sometimes housing, um, and being a homeowner comes with some really big challenges, right? That we have to deal with. And, and for me, one of those was having to pay to get out of that first home when I sold it, something that if I were renting, it wouldn't have been an, an issue, right? You put in right. your notice and, and you go. So again, there's pros and cons to all of it. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about affordability. Uh, this is a topic I'm going to just, um, I'm going to forewarn our listeners. I'm going to, I'm probably going to get a little uh, passionate, a little heated about <laughs> affordability uh, just because I want to see people succeed and and I know that the banks don't have that same uh, mindset that they are about making their money. And so they don't care uh, about affordability the way um, I care about affordability. So let's talk a little bit about how do you know how much house you can afford and, and what your mortgage payment should be? How do you calculate a mortgage payment? I mean, I don't want to get down into too many nitty gritties on an audio podcast. But at the same time, I want to have the conversation about affordability and how one figures out what can I afford and all of that. And I think it's good numbers to know because, again, this wasn't something that was really <clears throat> fully gone through um, both times that I've, you know, I've owned two homes. Um I was a lot savvier the second go around than I was the first go around. But um it astonished me how much I was approved for, Nino. Um, and when I look at that, I'm thinking, you're approving me for how much? How much are you saying I can afford each month? There is no way I could make that kind of a mortgage payment, right? So I'm really happy that we're going to go through some of these numbers because I want people, again, to realize that just because what you're approved for does not mean that's what you have to spend. And it's about knowing your numbers, right? And And being really comfortable with borrowing wisely and being really comfortable with what you're doing. Yeah. So let me start the conversation with what the banks will do to you <laughs> and, <laughs> and how they'll take advantage of you. Uh, and then we can back our way into wise borrowing. Um, but so a bank whose sole interest is making money, um, you know, they've been around for decades uh, and they've figured out all of these numbers and they kind of know like what the the breaking point is and they're willing to they're willing to approve people for the breaking point and so um, I think once upon a time you could get approved for as much as 
um, say like 50% of your take home pay and they realized that was a really bad idea. So they back that down to like the, the forties and what they really figured out is it's about 36%. A bank is comfortable looking at somebody's household income, breaking that down into what they make monthly and saying, yeah, they can afford to as much as 36% of their take-home pay. And while that percentage might sound like, oh, that's only about a third, anytime you're spending that much of your take-home pay on just the mortgage, this is not the utilities. This is not putting food on the table. This is not your car payment if you have one of those and your car insurance. And it's none of the, it is just your mortgage payment. And when it's over a third, mm-hmm. you are in for trouble. Things are going to be tight, but the bank doesn't care. So they're like, yeah, we, but we know people will pay the payment because it's their home. So we will approve you for this much. Now you might be asking yourself, wait, 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 like, I don't even know how much I make a month. And so what is 36% of what I make? I, I don't even know. Here's what you need to know. With the interest rates the way they are right now, over 6%, this is um, about three and a half times your annual household income. When interest rates were less than 6% a few years ago, that would have been like four times your annual salary. Now, let me break that down a little bit more. The average household income today is $67,000. So at $67,000, if the bank is willing to give you about four times that amount to buy a house, they're saying, we will allow you to finance. We will allow you to borrow $268,000 from us. And I just think that's way too much. We'll talk about what wise borrowing looks like in a moment, but let me kind of pause there. Sarah, go ahead. Oh, geez. I mean, what is there to say? (laughs) There's so much to say here. It's, you know, and and I'm not going to bash the banking industry or anything because, you know, they're in it. There's reasons, but there are reasons why they are still in business, right? They are making money off of this. That is their main goal. They don't care about you. We care about you doing things that are right for your money, right? So to all the listeners out there, we care and we want you to do things that are beneficial for you. To spend that, to be approved for that kind of money, I just I just think that you, you limit yourself and you take away so many choices and you put so much stress on yourself if you are willing to spend what you are approved for. Four times your annual salary feels ridiculous to me. And I would agree that it is ridiculous. And here's why. So I'm a total math nerd. I like to crunch a bunch of numbers. And so in preparation for our conversation, I was like, there's some numbers I need to know. One of those numbers I needed to know is over the decades, what was the ratio of average household income to average home price? And so I started back in 1950. And the ratio is just a smidge above two to one. What I mean by that is 
Back in 1950, the average household income was $3,300 for the entire year. Could you imagine living off of $3,300 for the entire year? But you could also buy a home in 1950. The average household or the average house sold for $7,600. Mm-hmm. So just a smidge above two to one, right? Just a little over double. And that hangs true for 1960, 1970, 1980, 19- like two to one, two to one, two to one, two to one. Now, interestingly, I couldn't find the numbers for like, 2023 right now because everything's all over the place but trust me when i say like in my neighborhood in buckeye arizona just outside of phoenix i know that the household the medium household income for this community is around seventy thousand dollars and i know that home prices start at three hundred thousand Seventy doubled is one forty. Four times is two eighty, and it's still more than four times the average household income in this community. That drives me nuts. Mm-hmm. It's putting people in very vulnerable situations. Right. It's putting people in situations where they might have to choose between putting food on their table or making their mortgage payment. Right. Like it's it's now we need a second and a third and a fourth income Mm -hmm. to cover all of our expenses. I I think it's sick that this is the way things are have turned out, you know, with a and, and, you know, there were there was a period of time where. I don't remember exactly what James and I were making per year at this. Um, and it was about 2010. I'm going to say it was about, hmm, about $60,000 a year. Maybe it was a little bit less. I honestly don't remember. But we had the mortgage on the one house. And we got approved for another house. Um, I thought it was selling the one, right, and get approved for this this new one to buy. No, they approved us to carry both mortgages, which would have told totaled at that time, um, right around $300,000. And actually I think we were making a little under 60. I think it was closer to about 50,000 at that time. And both mortgages would have been right around 300,000. That's what they were. And I was like, Whoa, hold on a second. And in my brain, just because it's who I am and I lived in scarcity mode, you know, like, I'm like, there's no way in heck we could do that. Right. But I had the wherewithal to say, no, you know, I can see what this is. But I work with people all the time that are in mortgages, Nino, that quite frankly, they can't afford right now. Yeah, they absolutely cannot afford. And and while I love that you love your home something needs to change with this industry and we need to start. I think it actually starts with us. It's not going to start with the banking industry. I think it needs to start with us individually to say, listen, I want to do things differently mm-hmm. for myself. And I want to show others that they can do it differently too. Yeah. Yeah. So just kind of bringing back the point that, so the bank in your situation was willing to approve you for almost six times your annual income. They're, they do four times like it's nothing. Yeah. And historically, 
your best bet is to be at like this two to one ratio. Now, so that means you shouldn't really spend more than double. Now, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a little bit of liberty with that, and I'm gonna say if you spend between two and three times your annual salary, you are going to be in this much more comfortable zone that it ends up being about 25 to 28% of your, your take-home pay. And that's that's very reasonable. Like one-fourth of your, your income versus one-third, okay. But again, when you go out shopping for a home, who's doing all the calculations to figure out like, this is how much I make a year, this is how much I bring home a month, this is one-fourth of that. Like, you don't do that calculation. So when interest rates are low, you can afford three times your annual salary. But when interest rates are high, like they are now over 6%, you're better off to stay at like two, two and a half times your annual salary. So I go back to, if I make $67,000 a year, I really can afford somewhere between 140 and 210, not even 210, low 200s. So it's that area of like 140 to $200,000 is the comfortable spot. Now, that's how much you're actually borrowing from the bank. If you're planning on putting a large down payment and you have like 40 grand in the bank, well now your 200 becomes 240 because you're still only going to borrow the 200, but you can buy a house for 240. But so often I find myself um, talking to people and, and they don't even, I didn't know what my budget really was the first time I bought a home. When I bought this home, I was making somewhere between sixty dollars and $65,000 a year at that time. And I didn't know any of these calculations, none of them. My sister, who happens to be in the mortgage business and she underwrites mortgages, I was like, what do you think? And she's all like, let's get you pre-approved for $90,000. Okay. Like, I didn't know... I. I had no other expertise to go off of at the time. So it was like, all right, let's do that. So got pre-approved for 90. Um, my friend told me about this particular community that I bought in, Spec Homes, 2010. The, the house was built in, two, built in 2008. So by 2010, it had lost value, right? And so I could buy it cheaper than what they originally wanted to sell it for. But it was still 119. Well, 119 is 30 grand more than I was pre-approved for. And the approval for 120 came back like it was nothing. Like, yeah, yeah, 120, sure, no problem. Because what I didn't realize at the time is that because I was making, let's say it was 60, they would have easily approved me like for 240, four times, mm -hmm. right? So at 120, I was in a, that was twice, that's two times, that's that ratio that's really comfortable. And, and it was because my mortgage payment Principal and interest only, and we'll talk about this in a moment, but principal and interest was like 650 bucks a month. Where was it, where was I going to live for $650 a month? Now, what I didn't realize is all the stuff I realize now. Like, hold on. <laughs> There's principal and interest and homeowner's insurance and um, taxes and the HOA. And, oh, by the way, now you're responsible for all the utilities. You're responsible. Thank, thankfully, it was uh, I was I bought a brand new home or a brand new built home, right? So it came under warranty and all that stuff. But other than that, you know, 
I would have had a lot of other responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that that's where kind of the, the gap falls in a lot of times between renting versus owning is all of those unexpected. So yes, maybe you feel like you can't afford the mortgage, right? But then it's all these other things that come in. So if you're getting a mortgage and you're looking at that payment, right? And you're like, ooh, boy, I don't know. That's looking pretty tight. If you feel it's looking pretty tight, then it's not a good fit for you. So I follow, I know Nino's the math nerd here. You know, he goes through all the, the big numbers and I'm the feelings kind of girl, right? And I'm just like, if your gut is telling you that this doesn't feel good, then you need to listen to that because there are so many more expenses that come along with it. This isn't a don't do it kind of speech. This is be aware of what you're doing and please understand that there are a lot more things that come along. Um, things will happen in your home that need to be replaced right? Things are going to happen that you're not going to be able to put off or that maybe you can't put on a credit card or you, you know, there's just so many things that happen. Um, I, I'm going to tell a quick little story here because it's very funny. Um, it's, it's relevant. Um, and there's a piece of it that isn't, but when James and I started dating, um, and he was going to move in, I owned my house. And so he was renting and moved in with me and to get renter's insurance, his real estate or his real estate, his insurance agent needed to come out and inspect the property so he could get renter's insurance. Well, the agent was there and was going around. He said, Oh, looks like the roof here needs to be replaced. Is the homeowner going to replace that? And I looked at him like, no, this homeowner is not going to replace that because I didn't have the $15,000 that it was going to cost at that time to replace the roof on the house and the garage, right? And so it, it's your renters, there's so many things that go into owning a home. I'm just going to leave it there because I keep repeating it, but I want to just hit that point home for people, right? That there's, there's just a lot of stuff that goes into it. Um, he ended up getting his renter's insurance. He moved in. Nothing was damaged. Homeowner did end up replacing the roof in a couple of years. We got it all taken care of, but, um, it, it's just goes to show that I tried to put it off. Right. And he almost wasn't able to get renter's insurance because there were repairs that needed to be done mm -hmm. and I couldn't afford to do them. Yep. I think it's a good point to make though, because even though I bought a new build, it, that had never been lived in and was under warranty. The moment I walked in, there was a, a, a clause in the homeowner or the, uh, the HOA. So the homeowners association talked about how you have to have window dressings on mm. all of your windows. And there weren't any, there were no curtains, there were no blinds. So the moment I walked in, I was like, Ooh, I have about 20 windows. I need to put, something on. Otherwise, I'm going to start getting fined from the homeowners association for not having window dressings on the windows. So, you know, it, it does, it doesn't matter if it's a 100 year old house that's going to need new plumbing and electric or a brand new build that's going to need blinds or curtains. Like, mm -hmm. When you walk into owning a home. And the other thing is, you know, we moved from a maybe a 1200 square foot apartment 
which is actually kind of a big apartment if you think about it. But from a 1,200 square foot apartment into a 2,000 square foot house, we didn't have enough furniture to fill the place up. So now you're buying more furniture because I got, you know, that fourth bedroom, that's going to be an awesome man cave that then turns into the home office. But, you know, so it, it goes through <laughs> some some changes. But, yeah, you know, home ownership means um, a little bit different than than it, what it means to rent. And so um, I like the quote from earlier, if you can't afford to rent, you can't afford to buy. And so, um, and I agree, like if, if, if the numbers don't feel right, if it's like, wow, you would approve me for that much and I can... Like the bank says I can afford that much. But if, if, if your internal gut is kind of sounding an alarm, like that's like half of everything you bring home every, every month, mm -hmm. listen, listen to it and, and, and borrow wisely instead of borrowing according to the bank. Um, yeah, two, maybe three times your annual salary, but, uh, don't do the four five or even six times that the bank will approve you for, it will hurt. It will. And you're probably going to end up with some regrets with that, right? Don't, don't add stress onto your life. You know, being a homeowner, I think is not supposed to be stressful necessarily, right? You, it's a, it's a move that, that a lot of us want to feel really proud of and happy about, right? And so if there's a lot of stress and overwhelm that comes with that, then you're really kind of defeating the purpose of it, right? And so that's where it's important to honor yourself, give yourself the gift of, Hey, if this doesn't feel right, then this one isn't right for me. And I know there's going to be something else that's going to come along that's going to fit much, much better. Yep. All right. So great conversation as always. <clears throat> if you are listening to this episode and you're thinking, boy, um, I need to, <clears throat> excuse me, learn more about mortgages and what I can truly afford and, and what's the sweet spot and, and how much house is enough house without being too much house and all that stuff. Uh, I want to encourage you to visit the website, newmoneyhabits.com. We have a mortgage calculator. Uh, that you can use to help you kind of figure out what uh, what that number should look like. But then if you need to talk to somebody about purchasing wisely and, and going about it the right way, uh, you know, schedule that free call with either Sarah or myself and uh, we'll help you figure out, you know, what's the best way to go about um Acquiring that dream of home ownership, because if that's that if that's the dream, right? Home ownership is the dream. There are different paths to it, and sometimes, mm -hmm. um, you know, taking a little bit of a detour to get to the final destination works out better. It's true, and a home doesn't. Maybe your home's on wheels. There's nothing um, wrong with that either, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well. Great conversation as always, and we'll continue ours next time. Thank you for listening to the New Money Habits podcast, brought to you by New Money Habits and Keeping Up with the Joneses Financial Coaching. Submit your questions to our host by emailing podcast at newmoneyhabits.com. Be sure to subscribe to be notified of future episodes. Join our growing group of like-minded people on Facebook and follow us on your favorite platform. Music provided by Summer School.